I found, at least with my first go at this, was when you enter that first store, you then create this system in place where you create a warehouse and you develop a relationship with a distributor and you start making that a daily pattern and that becomes like such a fundamental time and focus of like managing relationships, making sure deliveries are on time, doing production runs to meet projection schedules. You kind of create this the system and you're like, wow, the system's in place. Now I could, we need more. So you get more. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. Join our online community where we're going further, faster, together at community.evolvecpg.com. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On today's episode, we're speaking with Aaron Wallach, founder and chief energy officer of Java Zen, about the lessons learned from the brand's initial launch, successes and failures, and how he's approaching the relaunch differently. Hello, everyone. My name is Aaron Wallach. I am the founder of Java Zen. I started this company in 2014. I was the chief product officer, so primarily in charge of designing and creating the blends. I am a medical herbalist and have been like practicing, prescribing, and helping all kinds of clients with their questions about herbal medicine, about living their best lives with the healthiest kinds of practices on a daily basis. So whether that's through coaching or through taking the best supplements, I really am an advocate for finding everyone's biggest potential through what they take on a daily basis. And that involves a total picture of health and wellness. But Java Zen comes into the picture because it provides a, I guess I would call it an energy boost that doesn't create the negatives that a lot of other drinks I found at least have. And that was some of the journey of where Java Zen began. I've been doing uh, product development in Java Zen for, gosh, like eight years now. So developed many different iterations of the blend and blends, you know, for very different kind of functions. And ultimately, I'm a passionate entrepreneur, love the space of, you know, the fusion of a new technology, new health products, and just kind of a wellness, you know, advocate for all my customers and everyone who gets to work with me. So there you go. That's awesome. I'm excited to have you on the show, not only because I am a fan of the product, but also just because I'm really interested in this story because you and I connected a long time back during the first launch of Java Zen around my agency was helping with a little bit of messaging work or whatever. But I love the product. I love seeing you guys grow and win all these pitch slams and do all a bunch of different things like that. And then I'm especially excited to hear what's happened since then and the motivation and everything behind this relaunch, for lack of a better word. But before we dive in there, I'd love to have you share the founding story of the product a little bit, because I love hearing about you and your co-founders for the first round and how your different kind of personalities came together to make this product possible. Yeah, I think that's one of like the key uh, key parts of what how Java Zen really got the momentum is 
the really quality people we found and the founding team was so dynamic and strong. I think that really created a lot of energy between us that moved it fast. So let's just get to it. So let's say 2013 in University of Maryland. So this is a college dorm room startup story. We were in this accelerator called the Hinman CEO program at the University of Maryland, where I would say it effectively self-selects, right? The best of the best are the people who are the most interested in doing business right then in school, not waiting for a degree or some sort of permission. It's really the like it's really the platform for, hey, I have an idea. I want to do this now. What resources does my university have to help me get this going? The team of Java Zen took that really seriously. And I think that was the initial like some of the initial like self-selecting process and how we were able to find each other. One of my co-founders, Eric Goldman, he was a coffee aficionado. Like he was the person roasting green coffee beans in his oven. Like when he took it way too far. That's, you know, just to kind of say, and I, (laughs) I was a personal trainer, you know, health coach, doing my thing at the university of Maryland, riding my scooter around kinesiology, you know, major really focused on the health and wellness. In class, I think we were just talking once and he just said like he had a lot of trouble sleeping and really struggled with his energy on a daily basis. Like he was just talking to me about crashing all the time and not feeling awake or alive and just put, you know, college style, like putting in crazy hours and just a very unbalanced, let's let's say that. And I immediately honed in on his coffee usage because he was way, way, way overboard on his coffee. And I started doing some fundamental research with him about coffee and about how we can make it a part of his day and not the like every day, you know, every couple hours of the same drink. And along that journey, we came across some fascinating research out of Japan that really got us going. We looked into the history of caffeine and caffeine is truly a, an amazing molecule, one of the most studied by far, primarily due to the incentives behind it, because look, you have tea coming out of Japan and obviously China. So there was a lot of industry studies about caffeine in the 1960s. And one of the key findings was this additional compound in green tea called L-theanine or L-thionine, however you want to pronounce it. And along with other kinds of like molecules that come along with the ride, it's not the only one, but it's the one that was identified for sure. And combining the two creates this completely different caffeine experience. And that was Java Zen. That was the key sauce to the whole story. We discovered that adding in green tea with coffee, if we were able to get the two somehow together, is a completely better experience. It's revolutionary in terms of how we felt, our focus. It completely changed his life because he was able to start having coffee on a daily basis. And I hated coffee. I'm a high energy, drink 40 ounces of water in the morning, do 10 minutes of yoga before you even you know can open your eyes kind of guy. And this was the first time I enjoyed coffee with green tea associated with it. That was really the like inspirational moment. And from there, it, we, you know, we said, okay, how do we make it taste good? Because it, it's matcha. Like matcha is 
green. It's real green. Now I'm okay with this. Like, you know, I've been known to, you know, drink algae and, you know, <laughs> yeah, totally. whatever kind of Cisandra berry and, you know, all kind of mushrooms drinks. And this is 2014. I was like doing this practice for a long time. Um, we get into how I found all, you know, how I got involved with the superfood emphasis. But key to the story now is the business part of it where I, as now the product guy, you know, passionate about foods, really designed, okay, what else can we add to Java Zen? And then it became about chocolate. You know, the theobromine, one of the things we identified in the cacao is this vasodilator. So what does coffee do? It constricts your blood vessels. Theobromine dilates them, meaning that it increases uh, blood flow. Interesting. Right? Cinnamon does the same thing. It's been shown to increase blood flow. So we were like, wow, two natural, potentially organic ingredients that can counteract one of the key negatives of coffee. And luckily, two ingredients that also taste really good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And people put cinnamon in their coffee, which was you know kind of a cool find too. Again, I was new to the coffee thing. I was a tea guy. I was like the Zen tea really focused. Well, here's a question. Were you ever hacking your tea though? Were you ever like adding chocolate or, uh, you know, cinnamon or something else to your tea or, or was tea just kind of like mellow enough that you didn't need a hack? One of my mentors, I have two real mentors in this space, David Wolf and Sean Stevenson, both have huge followings, huge podcasts. And I went to their conferences and they're like, you know, my first personal trainer was Sean and he now is one of the biggest health podcasts in the world. And for him, you know, he just taught me about raw foods and about superfoods. I was a raw foodist, like, you know, for a whole summer, I remember. And that was pretty wild. And then, so for me, it was like I was doing raw cacao smoothies for a long time. And just one of these very forward on the cutting edge of health and wellness. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, not so much tea. I would drink tea, but I'd really just be doing my daily smoothies. That was my focus. Yeah, that makes sense. So you cracked the code on like coffee has too many crashes and, and negative side effects. Tea is great, but maybe people who are more coffee drinkers want that initial jolt instead of the more mellow kind of uptick of tea. And then you were adding in other superfoods like chocolate and cinnamon to like balance out some of the negative effects of coffee. Like all, all that's starting to come together. And you guys are the three of you kind of building this business in school. And one thing I remember being really impressed about when I met you all and found out about the business is that three students with this great product, crushing all these competitions, winning like I think it was like Cupid's Cup and getting advisors like Ariana Huffington. And I think the first piece of advice I want to tell your audience is, all right, great. So now we're a couple of college kids. We're in this university program. What's the first lesson? And the first lesson that I tell every founder is start selling as fast as possible before it's ready. Oh, interesting. Get it out there, try, fail, do it. And that's what we did. We created a blend and we were like, okay. There was a lot of talk back and forth, but then it became about through the entrepreneurship class, how can we get this going? And we went to Costco, bought all the ingredients we needed from Costco straight up. Like, you know, we bought the cinnamon from Costco. We bought the coffee from Costco and we bought bulk orders of cacao online and printed labels using the Hinman CEO laser printer <laughs> with like, you know, sticker paper nice. we got from Home Depot. I I'm serious. And we went to Uline for like, you know, for our initial foil bags. 
and purchased, uh, you know, one of these, like, you know, as quickly as possible, we got to the farmer's market, the College Park Farmer's Market. And that's really where we saw the, like, the fastest curve, the exponential growth, and the best feedback. And that's where we iterated. We iterated with the customer. We got the email list. We did the A-B testing. We test, you know, there was an, another ingredient, which is a little secret that we ended up removing from Java Zen that we decided was, it actually is still too ahead of the game. Uh, it's, 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 it's on the, I would call this like, when someone discovers it and figures out how to market it right, it will become a massive supplement, but it isn't there yet. Pine pollen, I take it daily. Okay, cool. Yeah, that was in the original Java Zen, but... I think there is where we really saw the biggest growth. And then it became so much learning because we understood, okay, now we need a sales sheet. So we went to our local, you know, we went to our first grocery store and got our first real sale at Mom's Organic Market and then did demos there. And then we went to additional farmers market in the DC area and get started getting more feedback from like a broader base of customers, not just because of our college experience. Then that creates the real traction where we can start positioning this idea and this brand and this and this energy into something that people could celebrate and award. And I think that's really where like you know we started getting some of the awards. I think our best one was uh, we won DC's technology startup of the year. Wow, okay. Through Techstars, nice. a coffee company, <laughs> yeah. right? And then we went to Vegas and got to pitch with a bunch of other technology companies. And everyone was like, this is when hoverboards were big in 2015. <laughs> hoverboards uh, I remember, and Yeah, I remember when the hoverboards came out. That was, oh, oh gosh, that was so fun. And it was all those pitches, right? And I think you get a lot of great feedback. You learn how to position your company, show the revenue, show the projections, get the you know real customer feedback and saying, look, like, if we get this funding, if we get this support, this recognition, this is going to allow us to continue our growth and then start exploding it into wherever we, wherever we chose. And this is where I can look back and remember this so distinctly and really like, I remember some of the decisions that we had to make at this point. And I believe now if we would have chosen differently, JavaZen would have been in a different place today. But all of this energy, right? So let's say, you know, we got into moms, right? And I'm going to finish with the, with our biggest award. We got into Whole Foods and on a trial program. And then we started thinking, okay, where can we get to? How do we get bigger and bigger? And we landed our first deal at um, a massive trade show. But I want to just open up. I think that's where we met you, right? Expo East? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. That sounds right. So that was big in our story too. But yeah, Expo East is where... We started really like, so after the farmer's market, after our first like local organic store, right? We're like, okay, what comes next? So we, 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 we get a booth last minute at Expo East and then we start and then we meet like the next level of professionals. And there it's, we kind of get taught this whole game of here's the retail stores, here's Target, here's where all the big buyers are coming and looking for the next kind of products. And we arrived on the scene fresh and, you know, fresh eyed. And we landed our first major deal on our first show. That's when we were like, wow, we need to upgrade our branding. And I think that's where we kind of began our journey together and how we got started there. Yeah, that's amazing. There's so many 
lessons learned along the way, right? It's like hard to even keep track of all of them, but you're just in such a hustle. Like go out and do this, go out and do that. This other opportunity pops up. What we're, we're a tech company. Like, and there's all this, all this stuff popping up, but you're just like in that hustle of like, go out and chase all these opportunities. But one thing you mentioned, I've heard multiple entrepreneurs say is, is just get out there and sell your product, but get in front of people and just have conversations and get feedback as much feedback as you possibly can. So I'm real curious when you were doing your initial farmers markets and saying that you got a lot of good insights from that. Was it more mostly on like flavor development or were you getting feedback on function, like how people were feeling? Was it mostly around messaging, like trying to figure out how to tell the story of Javazin in a way that would engage people and not make their head explode when they think coffee and tea combined? You know, like what was it that you kind of learned in those farmers market talk to your customers experience? Yeah, let's get back to the basics, right? What is Java Zen? Java Zen, as our first iteration, was a blend of coffee with matcha green tea, raw chocolate, cinnamon, and vanilla. At the time, that was our initial flavor, and that was where we focused our initial energy. There was then this pressure as a product developer and manager to create additional flavors. And we thought, okay, what else would the theoretical person like? We trialed then two others, which are no longer sold, which is Boost and Relax. And we felt like, oh, wow, we have this trifecta. The theory is they're going to have it at each part of their day. And we're going to give them a boost in the morning, Java Zen for their, you know, every day, and then relax at night. And boy, do we learn some big failures there. That was where we received some great feedback. And I think looking back, that was my first lesson of how not to do product development where like we had a winning blend and we got great feedback on that one. And using that idea, we thought, well, why don't we create problems and develop solutions for our theoretical customer? And then let's just sell them on this like whole package when fundamentally the core promise was then so it was such a confusing brand because then there was no, there was no heart to what we were doing. The original like, when you're going into an industry, right, and let's look at coffee or tea, there's so much preconception, right? So when you're developing a software or a product or any kind of, you know, interesting new, like, I would call it just groundbreaking kind of like offering that changes the dynamics of what people think is possible. That's where it becomes fundamental to stick to what makes you special and not get into a broader like storyline that just is a theoretical, like, let's just now try to become everything. Like too much too soon almost, right? Like, and where was that pressure? Where do you feel that pressure was coming from? Like, oh, most product companies have multiple products, so we should probably have more products. Or was it like customers asking for it or like investors or advisors kind of pushing you that way? I don't know if customers were asking for it, right? I'm not sure. We just felt like, oh, in an ideal world, we did this thing right. Everyone loves this blend. Let's now take this concept and let's keep mixing coffee with tea. So then we took a darker roast and then herba mate and acai berry. We're like, oh, the fundamentals are like coffee with a tea and then maybe one superfood. So we felt that, you know, if we did, that was our focus. It was coffee, a superfood, we called it, and then a tea. And that's how we would design all of our blends. But that lost sight of the fundamental problem that we were solving. That makes sense. Was it that the relax one, I think it was what it was called, but the the lower caffeine one, was that the, what kind of got some of the attention from, I think it was Ariana Huffington was super into 
kind of job is in as an advisor because they're like yeah. the whole problem with like mm-hmm. caffeine and sleep and stuff, right? Was it that blend or was it just the base job is in that she was excited about? I think it was, I think it was that and also the base job is in just as a fundamental like theory of how do we take coffee and make it more sustainable, more part of a healthy, healthy rhythm versus a, you know, everyday kind of like, you know, reliance and like almost just like as a crutch versus like as a tool. Yeah. So Ariana Hoffington got related. We didn't get it. We get into this uh, in the backstory, but our probably our, one of our peak moments was when we won Keep It's Cup for $80,000, kind of one of these Shark Tank moments where the founder of Under Armour, Ariana Hoffington, and uh, the founder of Quicken Loans, we all got together and pitched to the whole, you know, the whole community at University of Maryland. And we beat out 500 startups across the world and we won this massive competition a really really special big moment for us and looking back at that that really you know put us on a trajectory which now if i had to think about it i would have really doubled you know we'll get into that later what went wrong and where we got a little lost in the weeds but yeah that's where again like the relaxed blend let's get back to the product for us that was a great moment of who buys decaf coffee? We assume that, oh, if we create this delicious. It tasted probably, out of all the blends, it tasted the best. Like it was sweet. It was rosy. It had, we used rooibos tea, goji berry, lucuma, you know, just a, a delicious blend. Like people really loved it. If you just, if you didn't tell them what it was, if you just told them it was tea, they thought it was delicious. But as a part of a coffee company, we would go and try to sell it and we put we, we, we bought so much decaf coffee and try put it and we put it in all these stores like Wegmans and all kinds of places. No one bought <laughs> yeah. this. Everyone was like, What? Take out all the fun. Like, yeah. <laughs> who That's is the phrase I hear all the time? Yeah, like one thing I'll tell any coffee entrepreneurs, don't ever launch an initial founding lineup with a decaf blend. Right? Well, what I've learned is if you're a decaf drinker, it means you were a previous coffee drinker who is now retired. Right, like you're like, oh, I want coffee, but I just like no, it messes me up. So I'm a decaf person, or straight up like you're you're pregnant or something, right? And just don't aren't doing caffeine. Those are the people. So very specific, not your average person. So yeah, lots of lessons learned there, and I think that's a lot of what informed you know my decision to move the company forward into its next iteration, which is where we are now. But yeah. Very interesting, that whole process of like learning and iterating. Yeah, well, let's dig into that. You know, you mentioned a couple of times the, the lessons learned and the assumptions that were made versus like the truth of how it turned out, et cetera. And, I, you know, we've been hearing a little sprinkling of maybe too many products too soon that kind of muddied the kind of pitch a little bit or, or the proposition. We heard like maybe there was some kind of like stretching a little bit too thin of get growing too fast in retail while still learning about your product, et cetera. What were some of those kind of moments where you were writing this growth, all this excitement, winning competitions, and, you know, your mind is here at like, you know, in five years, we're going to be this gigantic whatever. But like, I know a lot along the way, a lot of early brands get stretched too thin too quickly. So that's kind of my hunch of where this story might go. But tell me, tell me what actually yeah. happened. Like, where was Javazin was on the trajectory? And then it got paused. And I haven't had a chance to talk with you since. So tell us a little bit about that part of the story. Yeah, that was really where we found ourselves. So 
we won that competition and we were riding high and we had we had some additional dollars on our account. And then we also won a Maryland startup award as well at the time. That was our peak. And we thought, okay, now that we've received two major rounds of like grant funding, we're ready. We're ready for the prime time here. And we kind of assumed that there would be an investment or some sort of larger institution or someone or some kind of outside firm that would help us kind of like push it out. And we knew there was intense capital needs. We were aware of like some of the stretching, but we just assumed that if we had enough options and enough stores, that would propel us to, you know, establishing a fundamental baseline of our metrics and numbers. And because I think we were also a little bit kind of like starry-eyed, you know, having gone to our first show, you know, early on and really like some of the earliest validation we received was from that show. So probably some of the best feedback and real numbers, real sales, like not, you know, no kidding. Like real people were buying it. Real marketing was happening. There was a lot of momentum, you know, other little awards, other little things that we were going to, like little conferences and winning this award, going to all the big industry shows in the food space and really receiving like, wow, this is like a great product. This is working. We like what you're doing. Everyone's telling us this is go, go, go. And we want you in our store. And when you like fly out to Target and have a meeting with the head buyer for coffee and she's like, this is great. You know, are you ready? And we're like, yeah, like we'll get back to you when we have the funding ready. And we were like, all right. And then we kept getting those opportunities around 2016, 17. And that was where the wobble started to happen. We were in 1,500 stores. That actually wasn't the problem. The problem was in order to make it worthwhile to continue the operation, there was a level of, we need even a bigger, you need more volume and more opportunity to sell. But in order to get there, we needed to get funding. And that was really our tragedy, right? We We weren't successful in raising money that looked at a company in a five-year term where the, the growth is slow. The growth is there. The sales are there, profitable at every store. But unless you someone's willing to underwrite or you have a lot of personal wealth that could throw half a million dollars into you know sustainable growth through friends and family, that's kind of the gap that I learned unless you have underlying foundations that's where you can get wobbly. And that's where we found ourselves. And the distraction and the excitement of getting into your your first local store, that's where you could find actually the biggest amount of time. Because then what happens, I found, at least with my first go at this, was when you enter that first store, you then create this system in place where you create a warehouse and you develop a relationship with a distributor and you start making that a daily pattern and that becomes like such a fundamental time and focus of like managing relationships, making sure deliveries are on time, doing production runs to meet projection schedules. You kind of create this the system and you're like, wow, the system's in place. Now I could, we need more. So you get more. And that surprisingly isn't the most challenging part. What becomes the key is where if you get to a place where that self-operation is too small and then you need to move to the bigger situation, 
So that was the lesson learned. It's easy to get enamored with great feedback and a lot of success. But then if you aren't able to capitalize on the opportunity with real financing, you know, what does it ultimately mean? Yeah. What I've seen across all of our clients and just being in the industry for so long is that you either grow slow and steady, (laughs) funded off of your profits, and you're going to have slower growth, fewer doors, fewer whatever, but just try to maximize whatever opportunities you do have. Or if you do want to go fast, get in all the doors, get in these big chains, fulfill these big purchase orders, et cetera, is you just need to be constantly fundraising like <laughs> 24-7 almost. Maybe what could have like resulted in a different path is if at the time that you were doing this, if crowdfunding was more available, like I've been seeing more and more people in the industry go to platforms like WeFunder and they're able to get 500000 or or whatever it is from kind of families, friends, customers, amateur investors, etc. And get that all kind of lumped into one investor line on your books, which is just this great asset that I think before that was made more legal. Like you're saying, you either had to have rich family or something like that, or you had to go and pitch these giant rounds of funding that are going to look for certain criteria and a track record of sales and velocity and all this other kind of stuff. And it might be hard to get when you're in that kind of in-between spot. So I think when you're on that fast growth mode, but you don't have the cash lined up already, that's when you get in that like sticky situation where things are going really well. <laughs> the only problem is cash flow or, or whatever, yeah, right? That's what it became. I remember where the business really paused was we had a massive order for like a massive order came in that we just were like, we don't have the money to pay for all the product. Like we already were had product in the warehouses. We kind of like, so we did a production run, a massive one. We got a massive new order. We were like, we need to fill this. And we were just behind in our fundraising. So we even did a kind of fundraising round with friends and family. Like that's the thing, even with the WeFunder, even with those kind of assets, right? I think because of specifically coffee, I think it depends on, I think WeFunder and those kind of things, like that's what was so frustrating about us is that we were so close. We were so close to like there, but we're, but what industry are we in? We're in one of the most competitive industries with an extremely expensive product. So unlike, you know, some ready to drink beverages or chips or, you know, even dips and sauces, right? Our fundamental ingredient is expensive. There's no getting around it. Coffee is expensive. And our volumes, because we weren't owning the entire supply chain from the get-go, that makes it really difficult for us to really we thought we'd be able to, you know, do it based on like, you know, our brand and our messaging. Once we kind of got that work with you and kind of like really leveled that up, we thought that the messaging would kind of propel us and allow us to keep that like sustainable element going. But it turned out that if we're trying to compete with Starbucks, Nestle, JAB Group, which owns like, you know, Panera and like Dunkin', and then there's us. And then there, you know, there's all of the, you know, very high end coffees based out of California. That what we kind of learn is our space is so rare because one of the lessons learned also is for coffee, there's a certain like, I would say, story that we didn't follow, which was unique, is that we never had a store. We never like had a baseline business of a coffee shop. We kind of just created this product that was a great solution. 
looking back, what was so dumb, and this is what I this is what I kick myself about is that if we at that moment when we won all those awards, right, stopped retail cold, we just pulled out of all retail. Maybe we did like a couple of our local stores, but we just said no to a lot of money. And we took all that money and put it all on Facebook and all online. One of the biggest regrets is during Jobs and His Time is that we never ran even a $10,000 marketing campaign online. We ran multiple. We would spend easily $20,000 to go to all the conferences every year, right? And do in-store promotions even more. We would pay tons of money for that, but we never paid for real marketing online. Kind of what you see now is like Mudwater and all these other brands that are really just half of their fundraising. Where does it go? To Facebook. They literally like are raising, like when you're a founder today of a company, it's like if I was, you know, and Java's ends on the evolution story again. So where we funder and all those things are in the cards. But for us, that's really where if I had to look back, it's like the lesson learned is without that fundamental business behind a brand, if you're going to try to compete with the biggest billion dollar market cap companies in the world, if you aren't already profitable with another business line, don't go there. Just don't. Stay off of that shelf. Yeah, I think along those same lines, another thing that's challenging is when you're something like a Mudwater or a Javazin or something like that that's not a product that people already know about, by which I mean, if you're launching just another coffee roaster, <laughs> you just have to kind of compete on maybe the look and feel of your package or your price point or like the quality of your roast or something. But what Javazin needed to do is educate people on, on this is kind of coffee, this is kind of tea, this is something better than both. And that's hard to do at retail, right? Because you just get your limited amount of space to communicate on front panel. So to your point, like if you had focused instead of on brick and mortar retail to like online communications, then like digital direct to consumer stuff, then you would have had a little bit more time to kind of like woo that customer and explain the benefits and tell them more of the story. And, you know, across like seven different exposures before they finally bite and and go ahead and buy some product. I think it's also just totally dependent on the type of product you have. If it's something brand new, like I know that was a a big part of uh, Pat from Chapool's struggle as well as selling cricket protein products. Like that was a lot of education needs to go into that, right? You can't just launch that and expect people to be going to the grocery store with cricket protein (laughs) on their shopping list. Or even when they do come across it, how much information are they going to get off of a quick front panel in this grocery store full of thousands of products, right? Whereas if you can kind of own their eyeballs or their ears or whatever for a little bit with some videos on Instagram and and Facebook and different things like that. You have a little bit more time to tell that story and you can kind of warm them up a few more times before they make a purchase and then like just give them a really great offer. Exactly. And that's what Java Zen is like we're preparing to do now and this is where we're focused today. I think this is a this is where we're you know we're excited to like relaunch it, right? So for us what I saw is after like, so let's, let's just kind of like wrap, you know, wrap up round one. After that moment where we had that massive order from our newest store, we went out and I remember we went full-time fundraising. We said, pause, we're going to go out and raise, we need to raise $2 million. Like we raised probably total, let's say half a million, maybe like a little bit less, a little bit more, but about that. And that got us to such a good point. Like we were in 2000 stores, profitable selling, but now we were like where we need to move it bigger 
We got some deals on the door, but none of them were also attractive to the founding team. As a fundamental part of the business, it became clear like we were going to basically get an exit, but not really, I guess, like not really get any like massive tangible like benefit from receiving the money. It was just very, very much like you're giving up. We're taking over. This is it. Hand us the keys. Bye bye. And that wasn't attractive. So it kind of became a story of everyone was kind of like, all right, like this was a good ride, but we don't, we're not really willing to part with it, but we want to maybe still try a little bit. And it kind of just went silent. We pulled back from all of our stores. We kind of like shut down operations. I actually, at the time, I went back to some product iteration and thought maybe we can go the CBD route. And I did that for a little bit. And then I soured on CBD because I did a lot of research and I just decided it was a fad. And the kind of environment was just a little too, a little too like young for me. And it wasn't where I want to focus my time and my energy. And then we all decided to walk away and we sold the company. So we closed down shop, original business closed and you know, we sold the assets and we moved on. At that point, I started working on my journey, you know, for an Amazon reseller, did, you know, did some consulting contracts for product development as well, help, you know, help, you know, like do some juicing and doing my thing. And then COVID hit. And then I was like, wow, like that whole ride with Java's end, you know, that peak and that glory, like if I was to redo it again and I could create a business, what would I do differently? And I was like, wow, like we have so much already figured out. We know this blend is amazing. We know there's fans out there. We know people love it. Let's redo it, but let's just do it online. And let's do that $10,000 marketing push. And let's get our first PR, like let's start rebuilding. And at this stage, we're very much in the VIP launch, right? So the relaunch is very much let's reconnect with our old customer base and our old fans. And let's get that feedback. Let's start. Let's not wait. And we're getting that feedback and the re- response has been phenomenal. And I'm happy to discuss more about that. But yeah, that's really where we kind of learned a lot from the first go around. And I think as a marketer, like I, I think you would like this is uh, one of the key lessons was, what is the problem Java's in solving, right? If you were to sum it up, what would you say? I feel like the problem Java's in is solving is kind of the initial proposition was that you need the energy without the crash, right? So it's helping people live the better life. That's kind of generic, but it's like helping people have the energy to pursue their life. On the front of our package, if you go to javazen.co, it says crash-free coffee, awaken your potential. You literally nailed it on the dot. And we revisited that fundamental promise. Also, just as you know, growing with the brand, learning more about product, how to, how to iterate, I just came back to the problem we were solving was crash-free coffee, solving that coffee problem and creating not a whole lifestyle of like, you know, boost and relax with decaf, but sticking to the core. And to solve the one problem first. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Rebranding and, and, and providing that real solution to people and really helping people that way and giving people those tools. Yeah, I feel like that's like such a great lesson because so many people just try to do, uh, this has come up multiple times, but too much too soon, right? And when you're trying to explain something really complex to 
a consumer or to investors or to whomever, it gets really muddy and it gets confusing. And you spend a lot of time and energy just trying to figure out how to explain it. Like, we can't just say this because we're also this, you know, like there's, there's all this kind of push and pull. But if you can really just dial down and tighten to just solving that one problem first and just get really good at communicating that, build a base of loyal customers and build a lot of sales. And then eventually, once you're kind of steady there and people know you for that thing and they know that problem that you solve, then you can always launch other solutions that solve tangential problems or something like that. Exactly. But in the beginning, when it's hard to win the loyalty or the customers or the clarity, like just tightening as much as possible is super valuable. Yeah, that actually was, I'll tell you this, one of the best meetings I ever had in my life was having two hours with the founder of Under Armour when he was CEO of the company in his offices in Baltimore. And I remember him saying to us, like at that meeting, he was like, all right, you have three blends. Like, this is confusing. I don't get what you're doing. He says, like, when I started Under Armour, what did I have? I had one shirt. One shirt that solved one problem. And that was cotton shirts were like nasty and disgusting after you sweated. My shirts weren't. And they kept you cool and they kept you mobile without slowing you down. And he solved that one problem. And that became the emphasis. Now, obviously, Under Armour is, you know, a very different company from when, you know, like, uh, you know, from 1996 to when we were talking to him. So it's, a, you know, now it had multiple, multiple products. But he said, at this stage, when you're first starting, identify the problem, solve it and solve it well and solve it for everyone and solve it for as many people as possible. Create, and then don't create new identities, just iterate off of that one and spread your wings there. So that's where the lineup today really that's how it was created. It, you know, we have our original blend, which we kind of wanted to bring back from the old original customer. Like if you love, if you love that blend and, you know, I want to make sure that we're showing up for those people who missed that one. We nailed it. And then one of the feedbacks we always heard was like, gosh, like we love that blend, but it's not dark enough. It didn't give me that coffee like feeling because some people just, they are used to their Starbucks. They've been trained their whole lives on Dunkin'. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. Right. So I think the next lesson was like, okay, we're going to create a dark roast Java Zen balance where it's that balance was the original blend. And that's, and, but we're going to take the same magic, but we're going to take a darker coffee and blend it together. So it's a new flavor, but the same promise. And then the final version was okay. There's another issue where I want, because one of our customer and learning about it, like one of the things we understood and a huge problem that, you know, I think we're really going to solve for the industry is what is your 3 p.m. coffee, right? Everyone, there's a kind of a growing awareness in the health space of I shouldn't be drinking caffeine post four o'clock, post three o'clock. So what do I do? But I still need that boost. So we said, okay. Let's take Java Zen because it has caffeine from tea and it has caffeine from cacao. And let's then take some decaf coffee, use the same balanced recipe, and then provide a 3 p.m. half-calf. So instead of getting a full dose, you get a way lower dose, but it's appropriate to have that in your afternoon. And that is, I think, one of the most exciting products we created because we've been seeing – 
such a huge response from people who, when they discover it and they say how good it tastes, like compared to any decaf, it blows it away. So if I was yeah. to say recommend any unique blend that is something revolutionary, that half calf we call it half calf 3 p.m. tells you when to drink it. And that to me is really like some of the excitement that we see going forward. And who knows where the brand will go next, but we're excited with this launch with the three main drivers and the new fresh look. As a branding professional though, I wanted to get your your feedback. What do you think of the new look? And I'm open to criticism too. So anything you want to see change, you know, happy for some raw feedback. Yeah, that could be a whole whole nother conversation, I imagine. But I, I think one thing that you're queuing in on in terms of packaging trends for sure is just clearly having those ingredients front and center on the package. I think Costco kind of started this trend because they kept seeing that products where it just like clearly showed the mangoes or if it was like a let's say mangoes, pumpkin seed and whatever kind of blend snack. Like if you just clearly show those ingredients on the front panel, people immediately get what it is. They don't have to read, they don't have to flip over the back panel, so on and so forth. So that seems to be a a kind of growing trend in packaging is just, and especially for a product like yours where people are like, well, what is this stuff? But clearly seeing like the coffee beans, the cacao and the the matcha front of package, I think is going to speed up communication pretty quickly. With that said, I'd be interested to maybe do some consumer tests or whatever on on the color palette that you've got going on. It feels a little bit like a nod to like older kind of natural product movements. It's feeling a little bit uh, like like very natural, kind of organic, maybe even touch like international kind of Caribbean type feel. And I wonder if that's appealing, if that's the way people imagine this brand. Because I mean, it is Java Zen. So like you do kind of imagine this more kind of meditative quality, but it's also coffee at the same time, right? So like, are people looking for more energy? Are they looking for like more of that dark roast? Are they looking for the Zen part? Like, and just kind of understanding which elements are communicating that best, like the color palette and then this lines that you've got kind of coming in, showing at the center of the pulling all those three core ingredients together. Like there's some elements like that, that I would want to test with consumers a little bit to see if those are functioning. But the base core of like the nice clean logo type and the clear product images on the front panel, I think are, are probably helping communicate. And then it's just a matter of like, the little graphic details, like dialing those in over time, I think. And to your point, like you've said it multiple times, just get out there <laughs> and start talking to customers, get something out there. Don't worry about like perfecting it day one, especially when you're selling online. Like you can just be getting constant feedback and making small tweaks over time. Whereas when you're printing, you know, hundreds of thousands of these to go into retail, that's a whole different animal. Right. I think some of the branding elements of the new package are. Like we wanted to go high energy in some ways, like show off. So I think, uh, you know, we were competing designs. I don't know if we showed you some of the other ones we were developing, but this one I felt like had like a a cool 80s vibe a little bit, kind of like with the, you know, with like the lines and like the little neon somewhat of like vibrancy and like that triangle with the multiple lines. It gave us a clear, like a clear energy flowing off the page. And that on the package really pops and it really stands out. And it's not something you're going to see anywhere else. And that was important. It definitely is unique for a coffee brand. I think, yeah, that it's almost like 70s, 80s. Yeah, it does. Now that you say that does kind of remind me a little bit of like that 70s show, some of the style towards the end of (laughs) of that show. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I feel like that's kind of come back in its own weird way. So I think it speaks to today very well. But I think you also mentioned like the color palettes are natural. They're like, you know, aspirational. They're like light. They're, you know, attractive, but not like not not the blank white slate. So I think I think that has I, I think that is some of like the Zen kind of foundational part of it. And we wanted some new icons, so I think that triangle and like that star and some of like the key elements there. But then I think you nailed it. I think for any packaging for CPG specifically, one of the things I was a huge advocate for, and I actually, I got pushback from my founders, was I always wanted the ingredients on the package. But for some reason, there was an agreement, you know, and one of the advantages of being able to purchase it by yourself for yourself is it's me. Now you get to try whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I would say one of the people I want to really mention and has mentioned so far is my brother, Michael. He's not on the call today, but I could not have done this you know, initial launch without him. He's been handling so much and has helped with design and like the, you know, all the uh, packaging and launch and handling, you know, the shipping and really managing the warehouse that we have, like, and, you know, working on the blends as well with me. I think that's been instrumental to our success. So having like a team that really helped put this together, I think it's so powerful. And so, yeah, while I was able to make that decision on the ingredients, he loved it. I think we came up with, I think a really amazing package that everyone who looks at it's like, wow, this is like, you know, it looks like, I think that was one of the shocking parts. And I will say this, if you have a great package, it takes you far. And so we spent, you know, I, I know I said like, yeah, just launch and get started. But we decided from an early stage that because Java Zen had a great history of great packaging designed by yourself and we just felt that we couldn't go backwards too much. We couldn't do a, yeah, yeah. a sticker <laughs> Good label. So we decided to spend some time on the new design, the new packaging, and I think we nailed it. And I think we're really set for our new digital push. And anyone on, who's listening to this podcast, I would like to uh, you know give everyone a, a code of Zen10, Z-E-N-10, for any of their orders. And if you email me, like you know, I would love to get your feedback on the products. Yeah, we're really like in the VIP launch and... Once we do this initial round of products and we get ready for our next rounds with the real bigger, you know, like digital marketing push, we're really excited to see where this brand will go. Nice. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing the discount code with the community. We'll, we'll be sure to share that in show notes and other things as well. But yeah, that's great. I'm excited to see where it goes. And I know working on packaging, it's, it's always a constant evolution. And it, it does seem like you've got a great base there and kind of unique look and feel that it'll be fun to see you kind of carry that out through all your social media and different campaigns and stuff and, and continue to see what's working and what's not working and then, you know, develop it from there. But but it's exciting, you know, just in general to see you relaunch. I think I can't remember where I heard this, so don't quote me on it, but I seem to remember at some point seeing some, you know, business entrepreneur magazine or or something like that mention that people are usually entrepreneurs on average, like it's their like third or fourth or, you know, something like that business that they've launched that ends up being the most successful. And it's because of these lessons you've learned when you went out and you you tried some stuff and some of it worked and some of it didn't. And you learn a little bit more. And then you go with that knowledge and you try something else. And maybe in that case, like more of it'll work, or maybe you're taking a bigger risk in this other area. But like you just kind of like build all this experience over time. You learn some lessons, you learn what's most important. You learn the right growth curve. You learn where to start and where to hold off on and, and so on and so forth. And I'm with with all that said, I think sharing this story of 
lessons learned from the first go that you're now applying to this relaunch, I think is really powerful. I hope other people listening in are kind of learning something from your journey and and also just having patience with themselves. Just go out and try some stuff and learn your lessons and then apply those learnings and just keep moving forward, right? So I, I think it's really cool that you came on to share this story and I'm excited for Java Zen's relaunch. I'm excited to see where you end up taking it. Yeah, we're excited to launch our TikTok channel. We've been working in behind the scenes for a while. I think that's by far where the audience, like it's a great way to grow an audience today. I think Facebook and others have kind of been almost priced out. You could pay to play there, but you're again, find the spaces. I know a lesson I could say learn is find the spaces where you could shine and you could really make an impact and grow a community. Don't believe that because don't just follow where you think that the shiniest, like wherever the shiniest diamond is, right? Don't think that's the only place to play. And if you find success and let's say like, you know, you might be drawn in or people might be trying to pull you in that direction. Remember to cultivate your own audience, develop your own relationships and to make your community and serve your community and tell the story that you want to tell and solve the problem that you believe your community is asking for. Stay true to that as long as you can. That's where you will find probably your greatest success and any other parts of distraction or any kind of, if you're relying upon a strategy that requires others to, you know, bring it to fruition, that's a recipe that can work, but is way more dangerous than finding the people to support you along the way. And I don't say anyone or other is wrong. It's just a matter of where can you stack as many elements to lead to your success. And I think staying true to what you're solving is going to help be the best way to you know launch a successful product, launch a successful brands, and really make an impact in the world in whatever way you're looking to do. If you have any questions or you know want to contact me about product or about health and wellness, feel free to reach me at Aaron at jobazen.co. Happy to like talk with anyone. It could be about anything and uh, really want to, you know, help everyone in the best way they can, whether it's coffee, caffeine, or getting the most energy out of their day. I think one of the campaigns where you're going to launch and hopefully you know, we'll, we can loop back maybe in a year or maybe longer would be how did we spread the messaging of healthy caffeination, of mindful caffeine usage, of developing patterns and behaviors that utilize caffeine, but without abusing it and, with, and by feeling good without the crash. And I think that story we're going to tell and I'll be excited to say, you know, develop that with my community in the coming year. That's so, so much awesome advice. Thanks for sharing all that. And maybe we'll get you into the uh, Evolve CPG online community sometime, do some Q&As or some follow-up sessions or, or whatever else if, if others have questions. But in the meantime, I appreciate you sharing your wisdom. And I'm, again, I'm just excited to have Java Zen back on the market slash excited to see where you can take it now that you've got some renewed kind of clarity on what the point is and, and how to get where you want to go. Yeah, me too. Excited to see where the journey takes us. Looking forward to getting the word out there as best as possible. So yeah, thanks so much for it. Thanks so much. This was great. Good to catch up. Thanks. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback. So send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com. Business can be a powerful force for good. 
Is your brand living up to its full potential? Go to EvolveCPG.com to learn about our new impact workshop, Exponential Good. Over six weeks, we'll be thinking bigger, getting relevant, spreading throughout, going exponential, working backwards, and making it real so you can walk away with a clear vision and a detailed action plan for scaling your brand's positive impact exponentially. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Aaron or Java Zen, go to javazen.co.